Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. All right, and thanks for listening to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I'm pleased to be joined by interfaith leader, activist, and pastor Amanda Henderson. Welcome. Thanks. Glad to be with you. And I should say, PhD student also. <laughs> I was bored. You know, not enough going on. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I usually take a minute to say how I know you, and I'm, uh, I've been pleased to interact with you a little bit through our mutual standing as clergy, pastors in the Disciples of Christ, Christian Church Disciples of Christ, here in the Central Rocky Mountain region, and then uh, I've been pleased to see your work from a distance at the Interfaith Alliance of Colorado, which you're now heading. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, Amanda, but back when I was in seminary, I did a uh, an internship for a few months with TIA. Yes, I remember and, you talking that. You worked with Jeremy then. Yeah, and yeah. no, no, um, no denigrating to what Jeremy did at all, but wow, what you've done in your time there has been really incredible. It's been fun. Um, it's been a time where there's been deep need, you know, and, and mm-hmm. being able to build something to assure that people are moving from multiple faith spaces for inclusion and equity and um, rights. This this has been a time where there's been deep need. So, yeah, yeah. it's been full. <laughs> yeah. Now, I want to ask you to share about your story, kind of your story of faith, if you would, what it's meant to be kind of your introduction to the faith growing up. And then maybe now, if there's anything different, what it means to you. Yeah, that's a big question. Um, (laughs) So the the short version is that I actually didn't grow up in a very um, religious family in the traditional sense. I I say that my family was more spiritual, but not religious, actually, before Mm -hmm. that was a term. Uh, And at the same time, it was a, I grew up in a very deeply Christian culture and mm-hmm. Western, Southwestern United States, rugged independence way of mm-hmm. Christianity. And so that's what I was seeped in, even if I didn't learn it formally. And then in my twenties, I actually wound up finding a disciples congregation in Fort Collins, Colorado. And that was really where I found space to ask big spiritual questions and hmm. justice-oriented questions and and to challenge some of the assumptions that I'd had before. And during that time, my first career was as a dietitian in community health. And oh, then, okay. yeah. And then when I had my first child and had started going to Heart of the Rockies and and just was deeply curious and and hungry for yeah. more information and I kept we led a small group in our our home and uh, a lot of social justice um, ministries work and I helped start a nonprofit at, out of our church called Kids at Heart in Fort Collins huh. and. Um, so all of those things led me to just keep hungering for more learning and this deep curiosity. And so then 
ultimately in 2008, uh, our family decided that we would sell our home and move the five of us at that point to Fort Worth, Texas, uh, wow. go to seminary at Bright Divinity School. And when I went, really, I didn't go with any particular agenda in my ministerial work or call more really genuinely just really felt called to seminary and to mm-hmm. follow that curiosity. And during that time, I wound up getting involved in interfaith work. And I realized okay. that interfaith work for me helped me learn more about my Christian uh, beliefs and, and hopes than anything else did. And and I love those spaces of coming together across our houses yeah where we really genuinely learn how to see one another and mm-hmm. how to move together for shared action. So, yeah, then after that, I worked for a couple of years in a congregation and really always felt that my call was more to community life. And had the opportunity to start working with the Interfaith Alliance of Colorado, where it's, you know, this intersection of the two things that I'm the most passionate about interfaith, bringing people together across differences and justice and advocacy uh, for me, which is putting my values and my faith into action. That's great. Amanda, I joke about this with you, so you have to forgive me, but I'm going to keep praying that you get called back to a church though, because we need you. <laughs> There's a lot of churches that need you as a, such a leader you are. One of my friends uh, saw me in the church once and, and said, you know, you're kind of like a firecracker in a snow globe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the church so much. And I love, you know, for me, my, my work is, um, is out in the community. So I, mm-hmm. I have, you know, had that question and, but the community just feels like a strong pull for me. Yeah, that's great. That's great though. Tell me if you would, any spiritual practices that you've developed or you would recommend to others as you've kind of grown in your faith? Yeah. Um, I think that my two primary spiritual practices are meditation in the morning and quiet and silence. Um, and for I've I actually learned meditation before I really dove into Christianity. So I learned using the prayer of Saint Francis of Assisi in mm-hmm. um, a mantra, like repeating that prayer, and that is a deep spiritual practice for me. Uh, the other meditation practice I I really appreciate is the Anglican prayer bead. And okay. there's uh, this beautiful seven part, deliver me, open me, fill me, teach hmm. me, keep me, send me, bring me. And and so each bead, you say one of those and really feel it. And that has been uh, over time, one of my deepest practices. Um, the other is being outside in nature and moving my body. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm a runner and uh, lately I've also been biking too. And just being outside and feeling the presence of the divine for me is the most filling and life-giving spiritual practice. And when it's rough, I just go outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Now, I won't say for your privacy, but I know you're going somewhere, and I'm hoping you're taking a mountain bike where you're going. Yeah. You're on vacation. I know. Well, my husband is a big mountain biker, so he will be taking his good mountain bike. I um, do do not really have interest in like flying down or climbing up difficult mountains on a bike. Uh I like like a nice, even trail. We live off the High Line, so it's. I like the Highline Canal kind of mountain biking. <laughs> so I'll have one of those bikes too. Most of the time I'm on my feet. <laughs> you need so to do I- like the bar. Uh, I'll speak in code here. Hopefully we'll give away the the location. But like the bar S trails in your location. Oh, good. I don't know. So my, my husband's been there a bunch. I have not been there yet. He goes mountain biking there all the time. So this will be my first. Those are... Those are some kind of green blue trails that I think are a lot oh, of fun. Oh, good. All right. But I'll check it out. I'm crashing hurts a lot. Yeah. So I had that happen. So I, um, that's why I'm like, I, I can't, I can't run anymore because of a mountain bike crash. So <laughs> like, I'm still going to mountain bike cause now I can't run, but I just right. wear a lot of pads and I don't quite go so crazy. Yeah. It hurts. Well, uh, Speaking of chaos, crazy yeah. things happening, let's talk about your book, Holy Chaos. And I want to ask you, like, why write a book? What what kind of gives it, hey, I need to put some pen to paper or keys to key, fingers to keyboard and uh, make something happen? Yeah. Um, I think that these the work that I've been engaged in in these past six years with the Interfaith Alliance of Colorado has really, um, there's so many stories. I often say, I wish I could just wear a GoPro with me during my day mm. sometimes because the experiences are so fascinating and so challenging. And uh, I have learned so much and I have so many people ask, how do I step into these difficult spaces? Like, how do you um, go out to a protest right now is one of the questions yeah. I'm asking. Um, how do I approach the issue of race? Uh, yeah. How do I start to learn about racism and to have those conversations with my family members who might disagree with me? Mm-hmm. So uh, ultimately, um, I, there was one moment, and I have it early in the book, when I was actually on the shore in Hoya, and near San Diego, the other mission mm-hmm. gathering, and, yeah. turf, and I was watching baby seals. It was pupping season in February mm. uh, a years ago, and and I was watching the mama seals, you know, moving along with the baby seals, and all of a sudden I saw that there were two baby seals with one mama, and that was unusual. I'd only seen kind of pairs of one mom and one baby. Mm-hmm. So it caught my attention and I was watching and then all of a sudden the mama reared up and snapped at one of the babies. And then I realized the baby got shooed away. It wasn't, it was with the wrong mama. And huh. so the right mama pulled it back into, you know, pulled her flip fin over or flipper, whatever it's called and, and pulled her back in and reprimanded him. And, and he came back in and, and I sat there thinking, one, I felt deep grace as a mother. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that there's times when we snap at, at the ones we love. <laughs> yeah. And, and then Say I Say as a father you know, too. Yeah. Yeah. And there is something to loving outside of ourself that 
this mama seal snapped because the baby was not her baby. And realizing that that is that learning to love outside of our own self, our own interest, our own selfishness is what we are called to. And it is for me, I think a part of our human evolution that we will not grow as people until we learn to care for another as much as we care for ourselves. And care or those who are radically different than us as mm-hmm. much as we care about ourselves. And so that moment just kept stirring with me of thinking, how do we do that? You know, what are the ways of being that we can cultivate that help us to love outside of ourselves? And honestly, like this isn't rocket science. This is what God said, what Jesus mm-hmm. said, what Muhammad said, what yeah. <laughs> Bhagavad says. Um, this is a part of a great, you know, call in every tradition because we're so bad at it. We have to hear it in every different way. Mm-hmm. Love God and love each other. And then I started on this journey of really trying to think about, okay, what are, what are some clear ways that we can do that? And, and for me, that's the chapters of the book, which is the first thing you have to do is one, understand the core thing is to love one another. Yeah. And then to understand and to try and learn about one another, try and learn about our, our social context, try and learn mm-hmm. about our history. Um, and that's, you know, the prayer of St. Francis was, um, make, uh, <laughs> I have to say the whole thing to say one part <laughs> that I understand rather than to be understood. May I understand more than be understood that we take yeah. time to understand and, and then to look at our own story. And part of being able to love someone else is to be able to know yourself. And yeah. a lot of people don't take that time to really ask, why do I think what I think? What in my own story has shaped my lens and my view and my opinions? And and how do I hold that? Mm. Um, and then the chapter is going to go on to seeing fear. And that actually, the name of that chapter is I Can't Breathe. Yeah. And it was about my first protest. And, and how do we understand and move into spaces of fear? in ways that help us grow and embracing curiosity and showing up and building deep friendships and messing up and knowing that inevitably when we try and love someone else, we will make mistakes Hmm. Yeah, and cultivating joy and how integral laughter and dance and music are to, um, falling in love with other people <laughs> and, and, and falling in love with life. Like we need it. It has to be fun. Um, yeah. And then letting go, learning how to set boundaries and have unconditional love, like finding that sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was, that's the giant long answer for, uh, that's great. Yeah. I think the, the point you brought up about loving outside ourselves is such a powerful but simple idea. And I think we see this over and over again uh, in our culture over the last two years. And I even think in relation to these police brutality incidents where 
you'll hear about an officer and you'll say, oh, this this person was a, a loving family member or did this and did that. Um, and even, you know, setting those instances aside, even beyond the context, so often that's what we see is people who are able to love within their own kind of tribe or family unit or cultural context. But beyond that, that's where the real struggle comes in. That's where the real work has to be done. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even in our own families, it can be difficult, but yeah, I think yeah. there is this tribalism. Um, yeah. and I don't mean that in, um, but this like us and them, right. A part of our humanness. And, and there are times when it serves us to protect, yeah. you know, a lot of these are, I think, biologically useful yep. in some ways, but I think, in the, and that's why I probably on the edge use the word evolution, mm. um, because I, I think it is a part of our human evolution to move beyond that us and them and toward a deep sense of interconnectedness and mutual liberation and, you know, seeing ourselves as a part of a greater ecosystem. It sounds like your next book needs to be on like faith and science intersectionality here. (laughs) I do love that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I mean, I, I, I think that, cosmically right that's one yeah. that is how i feel and i'm always asking what does that look like on the ground what mm. does that look like when i step into the space of a protest or when i am sitting with my neighbors talking about a conflict happening um you know there's this this cosmic way of understanding that interconnectedness yeah. and then there's this on the ground messiness yeah that it's it's really easy to talk for me like the philosophical way or the theological way of understanding this it's so much harder when you're in the middle of it yeah that's great i want to i want to even go back to just the basic title of the book Uh the idea of holy chaos i know when i was in seminary uh are you familiar with Catherine Keller? I believe is her name. Oh yeah, I love Catherine Keller. Yeah, I studied. Um, I'm not sure if that's when I th- what I think of is when, you, when I think of the title "Holy Chaos." I kind of think of her work, and she wrote about the kind of the messiness and God being in the messiness. But yes. I, I think about the it's a seeming paradox. I think at least as we've in our culture traditionally being taught to think of like holiness is clean, set apart, distinct. And chaos seems completely the opposite. So tell me more about that title if you can. Yeah. Um, I guess I am not a purist. I think that's important to name. Like the purity Mm -hmm. thing is, um, yeah, I don't resonate at all with that. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that uh, God is in the difficult spaces and one of the things that I was like in Genesis, the, the chaos in the waters. Yeah. I think that things are born in chaos and and holiness is born in chaos. And that it's in those moments when we step into the difficult, um, you know, 
<laughs> trying to use the word messy, but yeah. complicated, really complicated. complicated, complicated spaces. The only way to find our way through the most pressing problem that we face as humanity is through addressing the complicated realities. And mm-hmm. that is where we find these moments where we go, ah, that is connection or that is a deep sense of breath. Like, have you ever been in a moment where it was like, the, there's it's so overwhelming and there's so much happening and then you have this breath of calm. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, that is the holy in the chaos that comes in the middle of living life. It's not retreating. Hmm. It's not pushing all of the hard things away and head in the sand. It is having your eyes open and a brave, courageous willingness to step into the complicated things so that you might experience those moments of connection. And wow, we are in some complicated (sighs) times right now. Yeah. You know, if, if, if the, if a global pandemic wasn't big enough, you know, just in and of itself, we have the unrest and the the evil and toxicity that's been revealed from this the unjust killing of George Floyd and and Breonna Taylor and and who's the young man? I don't even know the name of the man who was uh, killed in Atlanta. Wendy's. Yeah. 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 I don't know his name yet either. I'm sure we it will but, be soon. Yeah, there's a uh, lot of stuff happening, and I I really appreciate kind of that idea that in this, like, this isn't just God is present in this. Yes, and that's part of like my theology, and you know, we look at um, the the question, the perennial question: Why do bad things happen? What the source of evil, and um, yeah, all of these theological questions. Yep my answer is God is in it. God is with, with us. God with us. Emmanuel, that's what Jesus mm-hmm. is. This intersection of yeah. spirit and matter of divine and human, of, uh, coming mm-hmm. into the messiest spaces of life. Like Jesus doesn't, he does go into rest and prayer, but he goes right back out into life Mm -hmm. and the the messy spaces um and i i think this this longing for purity is a running away or a denying what god has said where god is (laughs) where god has told us that god is yeah so it's like you want to embrace the humanity of jesus and and rather than just I think it's so easy to do in traditional Christianity just to embrace that divinity rather than uh, understanding yeah. and relating to that humanity. And perhaps more so, if I hear mm-hmm. you correctly, like that It's mix. that intersection. And when we have too much of one mm-hmm. or too much of the other, then we are out of balance. <laughs> but um, And mm-hmm. there's that seeing the divine in the other and seeing the fully human in the other. And, and so that's yeah. how we move into relationships. And, you know, that's back to that evolutionary thinking. Mm-hmm. Like 
when we start to actually see that we are connected to one another, that we can ask one another, how do you want to be loved? That that is what love is. You know, when, when we explore these deep questions and see that we're all connected, yeah. that's when we will begin to really truly grow. All right. Uh, in three years, I better be interviewing you for two years for this, <laughs> uh, this new book, Amanda. <laughs> Because I think you I already know. got okay. like, That's the other reason I wrote a book, because head. my head doesn't stop. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get into some... I want to ask about some of these chapters from the book you kind of alluded to. Uh, the first one is the idea of embracing curiosity and wonder as an act of justice. You can tell me what, what really you would envision and kind of how this plays out, but when I just kind of see those words and, and read it, like to me, it's as a, it's, it's so, I think, uh, it takes some pressure off. Like, I think there's so much this tendency to have like performative justice. Like I keep having to do things and do things and, mm-hmm. and do stuff to feel like I'm doing justice. But you say wonder yeah. is an act of justice. Um, yes. And I have to say that, um, real quick, and then I'm going to jump into that. Rayshard Brooks is the man who, in my, uh, not, uh, um, mm. always important okay. to see yeah. the name him. Um, so yeah, embracing curiosity and wonder is an act of justice. One of the greatest gifts that I've been given was by, um, a man, Harold here in Denver, who I had led a race and religion talk like four months after I started interfaith. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, it was a big topic. Obviously it was in 2014. Uh, we were still in the yeah. uh, Michael Brown um, time frame right after uh, Michael Brown. Mm-hmm. And I led a conversation. I used a lot of Parker Palmer materials, actually, which I really love. Um, but there a whole slew of events. Mm-hmm. I'll do the story in my book. Yeah. But um, I didn't, I wasn't fully prepared, and a couple things had gone wrong. Um, so my friend Harold, now friend, reached out and said, Hey, I, it was a black man who has led conversations on race in the Denver area for 20 years. And he said, can we, can I meet with you, him and his wife? And I said, absolutely. You know, schedule a time. And he, he gave me this poem, um, that started with, I wonder, and it was four white folks Mm. who are doing racial justice work. And, and it, it really helped me tap into, it invited me to explore my own role in doing racial equity work and to be able to to learn in those spaces. Um, So between that experience and also um, from Parker Palmer's work, he talks about moving, rather than judgment, Mm -hmm. moving to wonder. When you see something that's confusing or troubling, making your first question, I wonder why he thinks that, or I wonder why it is that way. Yeah, and and seeking to understand again, and the back to science, um, brain science shows that one of the only ways to break this really entrenched, like I know what I know and everything I see confirms what I know is to uh, foster curiosity. 
And that when we actually, when we ask questions Mm. or put people in situations where curiosity is evoked, our actual brain chemistry changes. (laughs) And and so I think that there's both a person-to-person way that curiosity is an act of justice. It's also a way that we can shift our brains and other people's brains to be open to one another and to be open to new ideas so huh. that we can work for justice. Um, Cause I think one of the biggest blocks we have is just this confirmation bias that we each um, wind up tracking yeah. as we're in our own information bubbles. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And kind of related to that, I guess here, is your idea that friendship is a political act. So correct me if I'm wrong here, but I wonder if uh, saying with your kind of train of thought is this friendship as a political act, like befriending people um, who you disagree with. Yes. And both. (laughs) So um, yes, people who you disagree with or people who you're different than in one way, in some way. Um, Actually. uh, Right. Right. (laughs) I think, is it, why is my brain? Um, it's either Foucault or Derrida that has a book called The Politics of Friendship. And oh, Der- it's Derrida. You're way over my head. The Politics of Friendship. Um, and so, okay. actually, s- friendships across differences can subvert systems. Um, so, when I am friends oh, okay. yeah. with an illegal immigrant, quote unquote, um, and say, this is yeah. my friend. It shifts people's mindset and undermines um, the lines that have been drawn between this person and that person. So there's one way, like there, there's an actual political way that when we have friends who are mm-hmm. um, from a group or, you know, between people um, that we're undermining systems. The other way that I talk about it and that I mean is having deep friendships and knowing one another allows you to step into spaces um, that you wouldn't otherwise step into. And I start this chapter, Mm. actually, this is timely, talking about the day after the Pulse nightclub shooting, which was... Five years yeah. ago this year, right? Yeah, this weekend. Yeah, five yeah, years recently, ago. just the other day, right? And when that happened, when I woke up and looked at my phone and saw the alert that there had been a shooting during the night, and you know, stomach sinks and feel heartbroken and sad, and and then I also think, you know, please don't let it have been a Muslim person. We were in the middle of the year up to the 2016 election. There was a lot of yeah. Islamic rhetoric and yeah um so i hate that that's the first thing that comes to my mind what and um yeah yeah it was a muslim person and then i soon found out that it was in a gay yeah. nightclub and then later found out that it was a gay latinx nightclub um so my brain immediately went to my friends who would be feeling this in this moment um my lgbtq friends and your LGBTQ Latinx specifically mm. and my Muslim friends who I knew would be experiencing a backlash. Mm-hmm. And because of those friendships that were yeah. already in place, because we'd been showing up for each other 
for years already, we were able to get on the phone at 10 o'clock mm-hmm. that morning and work to assure that this act of hatred and violence didn't divide, further divide our LGBTQ community with our Muslim community, that it wasn't, it wasn't you divide mm-hmm. us. And, and yeah. so I helped connect yeah. people from the Muslim community, Kusair here with um, Dave uh, was at the time leading in Colorado um, and made sure that there were LGBTQ folks at the press conference that the Muslim community did to denounce the violence and that there were um, mm. Muslim folks at the gathering that night at Max um, nightclub, that it's those friendships wow. that have been developed over time that allow you to be in the work of genuinely seeking justice and not just stepping in when, you know, it's a hot moment. Um, But friendship is a long haul act. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Speaking of a long haul act, uh, family can be a long haul act, a long haul act. And you have a chapter on letting go and holding on talking about boundaries and I'm interested to hear more. Hopefully, no one who's too conservative will be listening to this podcast. But my mom, uh, my parents are very conservative uh, Christian Baptist. And that's the tradition I came out of. And my mom has been recently reading, because uh, I'll have books. And when she'll watch my kids, she'll read my books. And she came across uh, Matthew Vine's book. Um, who wrote Gandhi a Christian, and then she recently listened to my sermon and uh, talking about it again. She said, oh, Lord, I want to give that some more thought. And uh, so I've been really interested in this this idea of boundaries and family. And so yeah, talk to me I more about that. Yeah, I honestly think that this is the hardest thing that we do. And uh, my family mm-hmm. also is, and I go into this pretty, uh, in the book, that my family is Republican. My family um, comes out of a Christian Baptist uh-huh. background, even if my parents aren't in that right now. I think it's part of that culture that they were steeped in. And um, yeah, they, my parents voted for Trump and they still support Trump. And they know who I am. I don't hide who I am. <laughs> and I actually sent them my book yeah. a couple months before it was going to print. And they were not thrilled with it. Uh, And yeah. So I think that there's this dual, a piece that I think is so important is that I love my family no matter what. Um, And they love me no matter what. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's really important to me to stand up and speak out when I see those who are marginalized um, being harmed when I see policies that are dehumanizing mm-hmm. and unjust and, and I will speak out and I will tell my family that I disagree with them and we'll, we will engage in these topics. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it goes okay. And sometimes it doesn't, they're pretty locked in to our views, you know, and, and beyond my parents, mm-hmm. like extended family and in-laws and, um, and so I think there's this way of, of navigating it, of accepting, you know what, I'm going to love you anyway. Uh, and I'm not going to be any less myself. Um, 
or any less uh, mm. honest about the world that I imagine and hope for and the brokenness that I see uh, in so many places. I think that where that changes is when real harm is being done um, in families. And, you know, in my, there's no abuse. There's not. Um, yeah. it, we just have different opinions yeah. and views. Um, and, mm-hmm. and not just that, like, I, I think that we're participating in those systems and views in ways that, yes, are causing harm in different ways, but not direct harm or rejection. Right. So if I was an LGBTQ yeah. teenager and my parent was, um, you know, mm-hmm. hurting me or saying that I didn't belong, me out, like there's, there's a line where you have a boundary of, I need to keep myself and my community yep. safe. So I'm drawing this line. And then there's the other side that has that unconditional love. And I'm always going to be trying to generate love and support, but I also am going to assure that um, those I love and my myself and those I care for are safe. And um, so that's what this letting go. And I actually, I, I dig into the Kabbalah concept of God, the Sephirot, which okay. talks about the 10 traits of God and the right arm, the Gevorah, and I might be seeing this wrong, but the Gevorah and left arm, said, um, the Gevorah is this right arm, this law, the um, firm boundary, the God will be angry arm. And the left arm is the, um, unrelenting love and acceptance and inclusion. And, and these are two arms of God in the same body. And how do we move in this space between these and within these, um, boundary and freedom and how we navigate relationships as well. Mm -hmm. When do I need to have a boundary and when do I need to have more openness and freedom? Yeah. Would you say, uh, do you have any, like, would you say are strict or fairly strict? Sounds like abuse, rejection would be um, two yeah, strict boundaries I you would hold. That those are two strict boundaries. I also, a, a boundary that's less like abuse is I just don't see going anywhere. I have a family member who always wants to pick an argument. It's not really ever fearful. I'm not going to change their mind. They're not going to change my mind. And so the boundary for me is that we just don't talk about politics or religion. Um, We don't talk about much else either, honestly, Um, because my life is so (laughs) seeped in those things. Like it's harder. Um, But I don't typically run away from those topics. Um, But with that person, the relationship is important enough Mm -hmm. that I just set that boundary. Other spaces, I generally won't go into a space if I think that there's a toxic or dehumanizing element. Um, Like chaos, but if it's, um, if there is potential to grow and move in that space, then I'm in it. If I feel like it is a lockdown mm-hmm. space, I don't see that as my call. Um, for some people, that is their call. Yeah. Uh, I share about a friend of mine, Rob Shank, who I think is an incredible human being. Um, and he was 
very, very conservative. Like he was one of the founders of the National Evangelical Association. He was one of the architects of the anti-abortion movement. Oh, um, yeah. And he has since really shifted in his thinking and understanding of God and uh, like radically shifted. He wrote a book called Costly Grace and did a movie called Armor of Light where he explored the evangelical marrying of guns, you know, the NRA with evangelicalism yeah. while also fighting yeah. as pro-life, you know, and, and like, how do they reconcile this? So um, anyway, he started digging into those spaces and really shifted dramatically. He stays in the middle of the conversations mm-hmm. with folks who uh, are really berating <laughs> Um yeah, his Facebook yeah. pages. I always That's watch it. Wow, um, because yeah. he was in those relationships yeah. before, uh, and he stays there and and is himself. That's not the call. You know, I have, don't really have a whole lot of interest in going into like far, far right fundamentalist spaces and trying mm-hmm. to move for justice. Well, that's great. Let's uh, let's take a quick break, and then we can ask some closing go over some closing questions. Sounds good. All right, we're back with Reverend Amanda Henderson. Soon to be is it Doctor Reverend or Reverend Doctor when you have a PhD? Amanda? Doctor, I've got a few years, I think, maybe three years, but one day, Reverend Doctor. <laughs> yeah, okay. So you can take these closing questions as seriously or not as you'd like to take them. Uh, so I ask, if you're Pope for a day or, you know, just imagine you're like, you're like the leader, the religious leader of the free, of the world. Like, what's your big move? Whoa. My big move is to... Invite people to ask others how they want to be loved. Oh. There you go. That's pretty good. And then to do that. You have to follow through on it. So ask how they want to be loved and then do that. Okay, good. If you had a, if you could meet or bring back to life a historical religious figure or theologian, who is it? Um, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, um, who was a priest in the um, early 20th century and also um, archaeologist and really just fascinating person. And kind of actually the, the line I was on earlier around evolutionary thinking and um he did a lot of early work on that, which he was banned from his books were banned. Now they're, you know, available. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, someone like him. I, there's cool. Something. I probably could spend more time. Oh, or Hannah Arendt. Hannah Arendt. Hannah Arendt. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm, I really appreciate her. Great. Okay. Uh, here's another question. What do you think is, uh, Phil Sickle, who I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, Brady Shears, an evangelical who talks in kind of similar ways of like, is the we're in the biggest change in 500 years. What do you think history will remember us for as like this current time place for 
like in our in the religious context or Christian context, what do you think is the thing that's gonna be remembered for? I think the technological shift that's happening that we don't even fully understand. I don't fully understand. Um, yeah. That we are in such an upheaval in the ways that technology will shape our lives, will shape our lives now, but will shape our lives in the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, That I think that we're on the cusp and in the middle of like the beginning of it. Uh, So, yeah, I think that this will be the time kind of pre whatever technological leap is coming. Oh, another one. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Amanda, any guess what Christianity will look like in 500 years? That's a tough one. Um, and my answer probably won't be very popular. <laughs> yeah. I guess my greatest hope for Christianity is that we move outside of thinking about the church as Christianity. Mm. And Whoa. that we move toward really a deep sense of being and following the ways of Jesus is what Christianity is. And mm. I think how we do that in community is really important piece of that. Mm-hmm. That we, you know, I think as people leave quote unquote traditional churches, yep. um, I believe that they're still deep. God is moving deeply and, uh, and radically. And so I have hope that there will be a different way of Christianity in the future that is more about actually loving one another and actually being out living our lives in ways that are deeply connected and rooted in, in uh, centering the other. Yeah. And God more than worrying about church. Hmm. Like I said, not very popular. And yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Lauren. <laughs> no, it's not like I'm in this business of planning churches or anything, you know, <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll be dead by then. Yeah, on, so whatever, whatever. Well, Amanda, where can people find out more about you? Um, so there are a couple ways. Um, one is, uh, did you just lose me again, Lauren? No, I'm muting you because my daughter's vacuuming me. Or I'm muting myself because my daughter's vacuuming me. Okay, gotcha. Um, so you can find me at www.holychaos.org. I don't even need to say www anymore, do I? It's like 2020. So holychaos.org. Um, also Interfaith Alliance of interfaithalliance.co.org or look for me on Facebook, Amanda Henderson. Great. And uh, I guess I shouldn't be disappointed. Like my daughter's cleaning the house. So yeah, yeah. what can I do? Very impressive. What can I do? She's she's seven. So let's, let's, uh, let's wrap it up at that and peace be with you. Peace be with you, Lauren. Good luck. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. But hey, before you go, do us a favor, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people. Thanks and go in peace.